Grab your mason jars, strap on that apron. It's time for Canning with the Diva. Making her mark across the globe. Teaching you how to safely preserve delicious recipes. Please welcome your host, Diane Devereaux, the Canning Diva. Hey everyone, thank you so much for tuning in to Canning with the Diva. I'm Diane Devereaux, the Canning Diva, bringing you another fun episode. This one entitled, The Raw Stack Canning Method Explained. I posted an article on my website at canningdiva.com last week, and it has spurred a great deal of interest and excitement among canners. So I wanted to dive a bit deeper in today's episode and share this awesome method with all of you. Now, many of you may already be doing the raw stack method at home. So for those of you who are tuning in today, I will share with you its advantages and what not to preserve using this method. So you may expand upon what you're already putting up in your kitchen. Now, those of you new to the raw stack method, you are in for a treat. So for centuries, home canning has been a way of life for much of society. And in the past 40 years, we have seen some major advancements in technology, and we've also seen enhanced safety practices. The beauty of such advancements is many of us recipe creators have also safely advanced canning techniques, and the raw stack canning method is one of them. Now, raw stacking is a term I created to describe raw packing ingredients by way of layering or stacking each individual ingredient on top of one another into individual jars. Now, this technique uses the well-known raw packing method. However, we are intentionally layering or stacking a variety of pre-measured ingredients on top of one another to create the overall recipe. Once each ingredient is layered into every individual jar, we then cover the ingredients with water, broth, or stock, and then we proceed to wipe the rim and add this, you know, the, the lid and the screw bands, and then we go about processing. Now, a common canning practice when making soups requires that the recipe be cooked prior to, you know, putting it into a jar. You're going to put every ingredient into a stock pot. You're going to heat it through. You're going to cook it. And then you fill the jars. Now, the reason we do this particular method, which is considered hot packing, is we want to blend the flavors and we want to pre-shrink the food's fibers to expel any trapped air or moisture. Now, the difference when using the raw stacking method, however, is we are intentionally keeping the ingredients intact, we're not pre-shrinking, and we're relying on the processing time to do the cooking. So during the uh, processing, when we're doing the, you know, the raw stack method, the food's moisture is expelled into the jar while simultaneously cooking in and creating its own flavors and broths. And it's absorbing that created liquid, if you will, while maintaining the existing liquidity. Now, essentially, each jar is its own individual stock pot, if you will. 
The reason we do this is we are trying to obtain a higher ratio of solids to liquids in every jar. Unlike cooking a pot of soup, raw stacking is a splendid way to create hearty stews and meals in a jar so that we get less broth or liquid and more sustenance. Here are some advantages to using the raw stacking method when home canning. First and foremost, each jar retains the full impact of the food's flavors and nutrients. Secondly, the yield is retained in each jar, giving the canner a hearty meal, obviously with less broth and, and liquid. Third, canners can control their waste because each jar is filled individually rather than in a large stock pot. And what I mean by that is how many of us have created the recipe, we followed it to a T, and even though we give an approximate, you know, seven quarts or 14 pints, we still wind up with either a half a quart or a half a pint. And then we're like, well, what do we do with this? Do we just eat it right now? Do we throw it out? By using the raw stacking method, we control all of that and we no longer have any leftovers. Fourth, we save a lot of time in our prep work. We do not have to pre-cook a recipe either. We're simply cutting and chopping and pre-measuring everything, and then it goes into the individual jars. Lastly, unlike ladling and praying you get the right amount of solids to liquids in each jar, the canner now has full control of the level of solids to liquids. And even though many of us have used the slotted spoon method where you take your soup, you use a slotted spoon, you fill each jar first with as much of the solids as possible, and then you go back over and you ladle all the, the soup broth, you still wind up with some waste. And you still wind up with not everything being exactly even. Many canners have created meals in a jar using this raw stacking technique. And you didn't even realize you were doing it, right? You just thought it was a lot easier. You have all of your potatoes, carrots, what have you, everything chopped up and ready to go. And then you just simply layer. Well, many of us have been doing this for quite some time because again, we just, we didn't want to stand in, st in front of the stove, you know, heating a, a full stock pot through which can take upwards of, you know, a good half an hour before it even comes to a boil. So recipes such as beef stew, um, Irish bean and cabbage stew, savory beef and vegetables, uh, fall pot roast in a jar. These types of recipes are already using that raw stacking method. I just wanted to give it an identifier. So that way, when I'm coming to you with a new recipe and I say, okay, this is going to be raw stacked, Bam, light bulb goes off. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Now, these recipes I just rattled off um, can be found on my website at canningdiva.com. And then, of course, I have many more available in my cookbooks. Uh, the one being um, that has probably more than the other would be the Complete Guide to Pressure Canning. That can be found on Amazon, Walmart, Target, Barnes & Noble, and also my website at canningdiva.com. Uh, that one is my bestseller, and it truly gives you a very vast, wide variety of pressure canning recipes, and some of those include this, this raw stacking method. The other is Beginner's Guide to Canning. Um, I have chosen recipes perfect for the beginner, but I've also included recipes in that book that allow that beginner canner 
once they feel they've got you know water bathing and pressure canning down they can they can just keep building off of that so the book even though it's designed for beginners there's a lot of amazing recipes in there close to 90 of them that will be something you haven't seen anywhere else so don't feel that you know, you consider yourself a veteran, so this book wouldn't be, you know, suitable. Oh my goodness, no. Even though it's a beginner's guide, it has a lot of delicious recipes in there. And some of those are also raw stacking. Okay, so some of the things I wanted to dive into by uh, recording this podcast is um, using frozen vegetables and frozen meats when raw stacking. I've gotten a lot of questions since I posted my article about you know, frozen foods. Also, um, what about dried beans? So I'm going to touch on that today. And then I am going to give you an idea of when not to use the raw stacking method. Um, again, there's really no wrong way. It's just about how the recipe is going to uh, taste and appear once you're, you know, popping a lid and plunking it into a saucepan to heat and eat. Okay, so let's focus on using frozen vegetables and meats when raw stacking. Now, raw stacking, I'm not going to lie, it's probably one of my most favorite methods of filling jars, especially when I'm in a time crunch. So, you know, this method basically has inspired uh, many canners like myself to rethink traditional recipes, especially, you know, if you don't have the eight hours to set aside on a Saturday or on a Tuesday, um, you need to cut that in half. You can do so using this method. So in creating various recipes that utilize this, this packing method, I gravitated right to my freezer. So if you need to use up some frozen meat or um, you've got frozen vegetables from your garden last year and your garden is starting to come to harvest and you're like, oh my goodness, what do I do with all of this? Anything nearing its freezer expiration date is perfect for this method. So for instance, you've got some frozen corn kernels or peas, green beans, potatoes, tomatoes. All of those are perfect frozen vegetables for the raw stacking method. And if you're like me, um, I will, you know, thaw out some of my frozen beef tips um, just because I need the space, right? And I'll just lightly sear them in some oil and bam, plunk them into the jar. And next thing you know, I'm, I'm creating the building blocks for that raw stacking method. So by all means, um, as much as canners, you know, we, we, we profess use the best of the best, use it right from the garden um, or right from the produce stand and, you know, get it right in the jar. You know, there is nothing wrong with using your frozen foods. Um, it's not unsafe. It still is a, is a very pleasant way to enjoy eating them. They're, you're not losing anything. The one caveat, of course, is if you're not going to cook a meal with frozen foods that have freezer burn, you certainly don't want to can anything that has freezer burn. Freezer burn is, is the food's way of saying, I'm tapping out. I've had way too much time in the freezer and um, more than likely they're pitchable. Unless, of course, you want to use them to, I, I know some people have have fed their animals using some of the freezer burned meat because uh, there's nothing wrong with it per se. It's just not very palatable, doesn't taste very good. 
but a dog or a cat may not care about that difference. So there is that one, you know, I guess you could say caveat, even though I've used that word already. Um, but truly your frozen vegetables and meats so that they don't get freezer burn. This is the perfect time to start using them. Okay, so now what about dried beans? I, after posting this, got lots of emails. So um, I wanted to clarify, I wanted to dive a bit deeper, and I wanted to share, um, you know, what happens if you are just throwing a bunch of dried beans in a jar and not following an actual recipe that we've already taken the time to measure all of those dried beans to make sure that they're not overabsorbing, right? You don't want to you don't want to run into an extremely dense situation in your jar, okay? That's why pre-measuring and having somebody like myself create the recipe and test it to ensure you're you're not over under. Um, it, it's it's well, it's what we do, right? And we're doing it for your benefit. So in cases where you are using dried beans and you're using the raw stacking technique in a recipe. It's, it's very important to, to know that those beans are going to absorb the liquid that ex is expelled from the other ingredients, in addition to some of the liquid that you're putting into that jar, whether that be water, broth, or stock. So to avoid an overly dense situation, the dried bean ratio has been tested and controlled. And so you don't want to exceed it simply because you want more beans in each jar. Um, if you exceed that ratio that our recipes are calling for, two things are going to happen, okay? So the first thing is going to be the beans are going to get very large, okay, because they're absorbing the liquid, and it's going to cause the other ingredients to rise possibly even above the jar rim, causing a huge mess in your canner, and of course, it's going to cause your lid to fail. It's not going to seal. So you don't want to overfill it because you don't want those beans pushing everything yummy out of the jar. And secondly, let's say, for instance, it swelled up, it didn't force anything out of the jar, and the lid did seal, and it's safely processed. Okay, what's going to happen is the upper layers that you've stacked, they will not be covered by any liquid. Now, while this is completely safe to consume, okay, you're going to be faced with what's called oxidization. So all of those top layers of food, whether it be, you know, carrots and onions and what have you, whatever's on the top is not going to be covered by liquid because the beans have overly, they've absorbed everything. And that food is going to dry out and it's going to darken over time during long-term food storage. And, you know, you start getting past a year's time and now that gorgeous carrot has a dark brown hue. Those onions have taken on a very dried uh, texture. I'm not saying it's unsafe to eat, but it starts to become pretty unpleasant. Now, if this does happen naturally, because sometimes we, we have what's called siphoning, right? And liquid is forced from the jar, not necessarily absorbed by the uh, ingredients. Um, my suggestion is if that happens, again, the lid seals, it's still safe. Put those to the front in your pantry. Eat those first. Leave all of the jars that have been adequately covered, you know, the ingredients have been covered by liquid. Leave those in the back. Eat those other first. Um, but here's where it gets a little tricky. You didn't follow the recipe, added way too many dried beans. Your lids did seal, 
but the top three inches of every jar is not covered by liquid. And that's where all your pretty precious vegetables are. And you just did 14 pints and they all look the same. Now you have 14 pints you have to consume within that first six months to a year to avoid them, you know, being oxidized. That kind of defeats the whole point of long-term food storage. Again, there's no wrong way. I'm just giving you what happens when you don't follow the recipe and you think you can kind of wing it a little bit more. Um, you can get away with that with meat and vegetables. You can't get away with that with beans. So if you are creating a recipe, for instance, my um, fajitas, chicken fajitas in a jar, that's also available on my website at canningdiva.com. It's absolutely delicious. Um, it has a pre-measured bean ratio in every quart jar. If you exceed that, everything on top, which is more likely going to be your peppers, onions, and possibly even some of that chicken, it is going to darken and possibly oxidize. And now you've, you know, you're just going to be having to eat those sooner. Many of you have said to me, hey, I don't feel like beans in my fajitas. Can I just add more chicken and more peppers and onions and skip the beans altogether? The answer is yes. Just know you're going to have a little bit more liquid, but that's okay because you can easily drain that or use that when you're reheating it. Beans just make things a bit trickier. And then lastly, I want to add to that you do not need to pre-soak those beans before putting them into the raw stacked recipe, okay? If you have a recipe that has a high ratio of tomatoes, however, the acidity from the tomatoes are going to prevent those dried beans from softening. So in the event your recipe that you're raw stacking has a high ratio of tomatoes, Definitely give those what I call a par parboil, par cook, a quick pre-soak. And you can do that simply by taking the dried beans, covering them with water in a stock pot, bringing them to a boil, let them boil for five to 10 minutes with a lid on, and then remove them from the heat. Keep that lid on and let them sit for an hour. That's going to help pre-tenderize your dried beans. And then you can simply just drain them and use them in the recipe. If you don't have a high ratio of tomatoes or tomato sauce in your raw stack recipe, because some of you have gotten really, really cool and creative, and instead of just covering your raw stacked recipe with water, broth, or stock, you've taken some cool V8 juice or tomato juice, and that's what you've used as your liquid. That is phenomenal, and that is amazing. Keep doing that. Just make sure if beans are in that recipe that you pre-cook those or pre-shrink or pre, however you want, however you want to call it, pre uh, parboil, uh, you know, give it a quick soak. Uh, definitely do that because the tomatoes will prevent those dried beans from um, softening. And then you're going to have a, a um, I don't want to say a crunch because they will cook, but they're just not going to be tender. And to many of you, that may be very unappealing. Okay. So we've talked about the raw stack method as a whole. We've talked a little bit about the frozen vegetables and meats that you are welcome to use to, to get that freezer cleaned out to make sure your items don't get freezer burn. Uh, but lastly, I want to focus on a few things. Um, I should say not, you know, not to do. Don't, a few recipe types not to use 
the raw stacking method. And then I'm going to wrap up today's segment with one of my favorite recipes. It's Irish bean and cabbage stew. Um, it's a simple and delicious recipe. Many of you who follow me on social media, you see me posting this as my, my go-to lunch. And it truly is. It is very delicious, very healthy, and super, super easy to preserve in a jar. Um, the prep work is, is just extremely minimal and it just makes life a lot easier when we're all, you know, we're busy. Okay, so when not to use the raw stacking method. There are wonderful uses for this method. However, there are some that would absolutely just ruin the recipe. For instance, chili. When we're making a batch of chili to preserve, it is imperative that we create the recipe using the various outline steps and we follow it and then we fully cook it at least through, right? We got to heat that through on the stovetop prior to filling the jars. And the reason we're doing that is we need to make sure that everything is cooked properly because you don't want to put raw hamburger into a jar. It doesn't have a very good texture. Um, it becomes... Um, Gosh, it, it reminds me of like weird mashed potatoes. The texture is just, it, frankly, I think it's disgusting. Um, so, you know, pre-cooking the hamburger. Um, then all of the seasonings that chili requires, right? You want that to permeate every tomato, every onion, every, you want everything to blend. And you definitely want to make sure that you're getting the same flavor on every, you know, spoonful. You you don't want to have, you know, one bite tastes more like a burger and another bite be heavy chili and then the next one just be very runny tomato, right? You want chili to be what you expect in every bite. Not to mention, you need to reduce down certain recipes by simmering them on a stovetop to remove some of the liquids by way of evaporation, of course, which gives you a more concentrated flavor. You don't have that advantage when you're raw stacking, right? So some of you love making your soups this way, and hey, that's awesome. Me personally, I like to make sure that the bay leaf boils in that stock pot for, you know, 10 to 15 minutes to, to pull out all of its flavor. I want to make sure that, you know, when I'm creating something hearty, um, like even some of my beef stews, I'll do beef stew raw stack, but then I have one that I use a delicious, you know, Cabernet wine. Um, I have some variety of flavors. Um, borscht would be another one. I, I like mine pureed and I want to puree all that flavor and I want to have it heated all the way through so that everything tastes well-rounded. You could possibly do it if you just chopped your beets, but you're not going to yield the flavor that we desire with this particular recipe. So there's no right or wrong way. It really truly comes down to personal preference. So if you really wanna raw stack your chili, I'd be very curious to see how it turned out. <laughs> but you still really aren't raw stacking because you have to pre-cook your burger. You have to do certain things. So it kind of takes away from the whole easeability of this, this really fun method. So I, I leave it to you. Um, you know, I, I termed that, you know, when not to use the method, but by all means, your kitchen, your rules, and I am not going to poo-poo you at all. I just want to make sure that you know, 
you know, what's going to happen if you try to take this method to recreate all of your canning recipes. So be warned, but have fun. Be creative. If you have a recipe, you really want to give this method a go, have at it. Maybe start with half a batch, though, so that way you're, if you're not liking it, you don't have, you know, 15 jars of it sitting around, right? Um, so go ahead. Have some fun. Okay. My Irish bean and cabbage stew canning recipe. Love it, love it, love it. Um, I've had some people go, wait a minute, you have cabbage in there. I thought cabbage isn't safe to preserve. Ugh. Oh, if I could, if I had a dollar for every time I saw, you know, a post or have someone say, but I heard that wasn't safe, I would be a millionaire. Um, cabbage is completely safe to preserve. What happens is it, it omits a very pungent odor and flavor once it's in a jar, just like Brussels sprouts. I mean, you got to really love them if you're going to put it in a jar because you're going to taste it. After it's preserved and it sits in long-term storage, it really, really seems to grow its robust uh, flavoring. And if you are not a fan of cabbage, don't, don't put it in a jar because that's what you're going to taste. <laughs> now, this recipe, I rounded out. Uh, what I'm going to give you measurement-wise will yield 12 pints or 6 quarts, okay? And um, I've given it a, a nice... Uh, rounding of ingredients so that you're not just tasting cabbage. Okay. It is truly one of my favorites, super easy, very delicious, and also very healthy. So let me run through the ingredient list. What I'm giving to you is based on putting it into pints. Okay. Um, the ingredients are going to work for quarts or pints, but I'm going to give you everything based on pints. And then towards the end, um, basically, if you want to do quarts, you just double it. So let's, let's get into the overall ingredients, uh, no matter if it's quarts or pints. This is what you need to yield 12 pints or six quarts. All right, you're going to start with three cups of dried pinto beans, three cups of diced onion, four celery stalks, and preferably I like the center with all the pretty leaves in it, but your call. 12 garlic cloves minced. Three cups of cubed sweet potatoes, and you're going to need a roughly two large or three medium potatoes to yield your three cups. Obviously, peel them. Uh, let's see here. Three cups of diced carrots, and to yield three cups, you're going to need approximately eight to ten medium carrots, peeled and diced. You're going to want three cups of loosely packed diced tomatoes. They are optional, but I highly encourage you to put them in there. Um, three cups of loosely packed chopped green cabbage. If you want to make it red, it's going to sweeten it up a bit. You're welcome to do red cabbage. I make mine with green. And to yield those three cups loosely packed, you're going to need to chop up about a half a head of cabbage. And then you want to make sure you have 10 cups of beef broth standing in the ready. Okay, so... Clean your pint jars. I tell individuals they don't have to sit in boiling water by any means. You want them room temperature because we are raw stacking this cold, okay? Nothing is heated. Everything is cold. So your jars need to be room temperature. Um, if you want to run them through the dishwasher and, and then when the cycle's over, just keep the door open so that they cool, by all means, have at it. Now, for your pints, this is the amount per jar of every ingredient I just went through. You're going to stack them in the jar according to this order. 
if you wanted quartz, you just double everything I'm giving you, okay? So here we go. The amount per jar. For every pint, you're gonna add a quarter cup of dried pinto beans, a quarter cup of loosely packed diced onions, one tablespoon of finely chopped celery, one teaspoon of minced garlic, a quarter cup of the cubed sweet potatoes, a quarter cup of the diced carrots, a quarter cup of the loosely packed diced tomatoes, and a quarter cup loosely packed chopped green cabbage. That is your order. And if you notice, I kept the tomatoes as far away from those pinto beans as possible without putting them on the top. Why? We don't want the acid preventing the pinto bean from softening. All right, so once you get everything layered into all of your 12 or double it to get your six quarts, um, you are then going to simply take your beef broth and you're going to pour it over every ingredient in each jar and you wanna make sure that you keep an inch of headspace. Now, what you'll find is that there's going to be quite a bit of trapped air inside of there. So by the time you empty that beef broth into the 12th pint, you're going to go back to that first one and go, where did it all go? So no worries. You're just going to either use your headspace measuring tool or I like to lightly tap. I tap that, that uh, jar onto a cutting board to just kind of jostle loose some of those, those trapped air bubbles. And then I just add more beef broth. And again, make sure you don't go any uh, higher than that one inch. You, you, we want the space. Things are going to swell. Things are going to move. And we got to give it as much room as possible. Once you've got every jar filled with your beef broth to that one inch of head space, you're going to wipe your jar rims with a wet washcloth dipped in vinegar. Place a lid and ring on each jar and simply hand tighten. Process your pint jars in a pressure canner for 75 minutes and your quartz are gonna process for 90 minutes. Now, if you have, um, whether it's a weighted gauge or a dial gauge, you're gonna want your standard PSI is about 10 to 11 pounds of, of pressure. Now, if you're in a higher elevation, you need to adjust that accordingly. So make sure you know your elevation. And um, yeah, 75 minutes for pints, 90 minutes for quartz. It is absolutely amazing. The sweetness of the sweet potatoes offsets the, you know, that pungent flavor of the cabbage, the garlic, onions, and celery. Oh my goodness. The carrots. You're, you're just going to fall in love with this recipe and it is super easy. I can bang out these 12 jars, um, you know, including the prep time. Cause again, we're just peeling and chopping. Everything else is super easy. I can get, you know, the prep work done in under a half an hour and, um, you know, pop it in the pressure canner and away I go. Um, so just think about that as you're approaching, you know, canning season. If you are going to be doing a water bath recipe, this would be a great companion pressure canning recipe to do alongside of it. Cause you got to be in the kitchen anyway, right? You got to wait for that 75 minutes or that 90 minutes to finish processing. So your other burner can be, you know, making jam, jelly, pie filling, something in the water bay, water bather. So I hope that, um, you know, I've given you something new and exciting to incorporate into your canning season this year. You know, I really want you to have fun trying this new method and canning technique. And if you happen to have a recipe 
that you would like to Ross stack, but you're unsure of the best way to go about doing so, go ahead and send me a message on Facebook or Instagram. You can find me at Canning Diva or shoot me an email at diane at canningdiva.com and I will very happily assist you. Well, thank you so much for tuning in. I look forward to next week. And, uh, you know, my, my saying is in the meantime, happy canning. And uh, boy, this year more than ever, do I mean it. We have got our work cut out for us, ladies and gentlemen, but we are going to have fun and we are going to feel so proud that we have a pantry full of wonderful foods to consume year after year. Tune in next time. Thank you for listening. Be sure to tune in next week for another episode of Canning with the Diva. For tips, recipes, and techniques, please visit us online at canningdiva.com.